0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, let's do a quick poll. On or off? Oh, man. <laughs> On. Whatever I want. You don't want that. You don't want whatever I want. Hey, I'm really glad that you're here today. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is what Hebrews 11:6 tells us. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Which means, if that's true, and it is, it means the opposite of that is also true. Faith is the way that God is pleased. So we have to ask this question then, well, what is, what is faith? If faith is the way that God is pleased, what is faith? Well, just a few verses before Hebrews 11, verse 6, in verses 1 and 2, the author writes this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation, And then Hebrews chapter 11, we call that the faith chapter, goes through and it lists out all of these different people, many by name, some not by name, and it talks about the way that they were justified by their faith. Joe taught us about Abraham and Sarah last week. God made Abraham a promise, and Abraham was faithful. He showed faith. He demonstrated faith. He demonstrated belief that God would fulfill it by Abraham's own actions. The way that Abraham lived his life from that moment forward was an evidence of his faith. It was an active faith. And God kept his promise to Abraham. But it wasn't just to Abraham that this promise was given. Through Abraham's offspring, the entire world has been blessed. And that's our story as well. We, we trace our lineage, we trace our faith, we trace our Christianity back to Abraham, to this promise that God had made. Through you, you'll be the father of many nations, and we are the fulfillment of that in part. But years after Abraham and years before us, we have this story at the beginning of the Old Testament in the form of the book of Ruth. There are three main characters in the book of Ruth. There's Naomi the widow. There's her daughter, excuse me, yeah, Naomi the widow. There's her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is from Moab, who's a foreigner. And then there's a farmer by the name of Boaz. And because of their faithfulness, What we're going to see is God is going to honor their faithfulness and it is through them that they have a connection that ties them personally to the person of Jesus Christ. Because of their faithfulness, God honors them and they are tied personally to Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible with you, I would love for you to open it to the book of B- Ruth. Joshua, excuse me, let's start over. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. If, you have, well, if you're going to use one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, it's on page 172. I really recommend that you follow along in Version that has all of the verses that we're going to talk about today. And while you're turning to Ruth, I'm just going to read Ruth 1 verse 1. And it says this, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. So we need to talk briefly about where kind of Ruth fits in the story of the Bible. Like it says in that very first verse, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. So this is taking place, if we were to go back to the book of Judges, the previous book, that's when this story is taking place. They're taking place at the exact same time. If you remember several years ago, we went through the book of Judges together. The book of Judges was not a good time in the history of Israel. The people had entered into the promised land God used Joshua to lead them into the promised land. And shortly thereafter, the Bible tells us within one generation, the people forgot who God was and basically they did whatever was right in their own eyes. We see that phrase several times throughout the book of Judges. They did whatever was right in their own eyes. And I know in our culture, we tend to think, well, if we just let everybody do what they want, everything would be fine because they're going to choose the right thing. Well, Judges tells us the exact opposite of that. So this takes place during Judges. So we have this person named Naomi. She's a widow. Let's read again verses 1, but we're going to read through 5. In the days when judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Mahlon and Kilion, They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and another a a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Mahlon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. This is one of those opportunities. We talked about this in our small group on Tuesday night. If, if we're not careful when we're reading through the Bible, this is one of those scenes that we just kind of gloss over. We just kind of read through fast. Like this is just some kind of setup to the rest of the story of what's going to happen. But we need to rest a moment in this text and we need to realize that Naomi's life has just become a total disaster. They were in Judah, and they had to flee because there was a famine. If we were to go back and read through the book of Judges, well, we would say that the famine wasn't some accidental thing. It was because all of the people were doing what was right in their own eyes, so God was punishing the people. So they hear that there's food in Moab, and they get up, and they leave And shortly after her husband dies. If that weren't enough, ten years later, her two sons die. Her life has completely fallen apart. And the reality is, I don't I don't have to tell some of you what this looks like. Some of you have lost a spouse. Some of you have lost a, a child. A friend of mine who's a pastor in Missouri has actually lost two of his children. The first due to cancer at the age of 13 and, and the second a few years later when he took his own life. This is, this is heart-wrenching. This is an awful story and if we don't take a minute and realize that, that this is real life, We'll get to the end of the book and we'll, we'll kind of see everything happy, be happily ever after. But that's not how the story starts for us. There are a couple different ways that, that Naomi shows faithfulness in this story. We're not going to read through the entire book today, just a few pieces. But the first way that Naomi demonstrates faithfulness in this story is she's honest about her loss. She's honest about her loss. We see this in verse 20. So they're in Moab. She has two daughters-in-law. Her life has fallen apart, and she basically thinks, you know what, I should just go back to Judah. Just pick up and just go back to Judah. And her two daughter-in-laws She invites to go along with her initially. And they start walking back to Judah. And then Naomi turns to them and says, you know what? You guys should just stay here. I'm not going to have any more children. Even if I were to get married today, what are you going to do? Are you going to wait for years and years and years until they're old enough for you to marry? You should just stay. And, And one of the women stays and the other woman, Ruth, goes with her. And then when they show up in Bethlehem, which ought to be a little bit of a light bulb moment for us, when they show back up in Bethlehem, I'm going to start at verse 19. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is this really Naomi? Listen to what Naomi says. Listen to the way she shows faithfulness by being honest. She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi. Naomi means pleasant, by the way. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Mara means bitter. Why call me Naomi, which means pleasant, when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? She sows faithfulness by being honest. Many of us, when we are going through hard times, when someone asks how we're doing, what do we say? Fine. Doing fine. Doing fine. Doing fine. Naomi's not fine. Her life is not fine. And Naomi is, Naomi is not saying these things to garner anyone's sympathy. This isn't isn't an emotional Facebook post where where she's going to be inundated with, oh, what's wrong? How are you feeling? Don't feel that way. She's being honest about her loss, and this is a way that she demonstrates faithfulness because she talks about it. Here's the second way that Naomi demonstrates faithfulness in this story. And interestingly, it's not through something that she does. For me, if I flip the page over to Ruth chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 2. One day, Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Well, I said a second ago that this, that this is Naomi showing faithfulness through, through the words of someone else. So, so what does that mean? Well, Naomi has clearly passed along to, the, to her daughter-in-law the faith of her people. If we were to go back and read through Leviticus and we would read through Numbers, we would find instructions for farmers and for field owners that at the time of harvest, what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to leave some food out for the, for the widows and foreigners to come along and take from So what we see in this story is is Naomi is showing faithfulness by passing on the faith to the next generation. This is a way as Christians that we show faithfulness. We pass along the faith. We pass along the systems and the structures of our faith to the next generation. And Naomi does that, so she is faithful. She shares this so Ruth knows that she can walk out to a field, and this is so strange, and we're going to talk more about this in a minute when we talk about Boaz. But despite the, the chaos that is Israel and Judah right now, despite the disregard for, for so many of God's laws, there's a remnant. There is someone who is still faithful. Faithful. And what Ruth and Naomi are counting on is that faithfulness. That they're just going to go out to the field and what they're going to see is is grain for them to gather. So let's talk a little bit about Ruth from Moab. This is a person who consistently demonstrates faith in this story. In verses 16 to 18 from verse 1, when, when Naomi's trying to send the girls back, listen to what Ruth says. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And what she says next indicates that it's not just faith in her. And your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said, nothing more. So Ruth, in chapter 2, trusts in this, in this system that God has set up for people like her. I wonder what that would be like for us to trust in the systems and the structures that God has set up for our own good. Rather than trying to forge our own path, rather than thinking that our way is better, we sang that in a song, Your Way is Better. That's what we just sang a moment ago. Your Way is Better. What would it be like if that's how we lived our lives? We trusted God's way. Ruth and Naomi does. Do, does, do. I went to Bible college. I'm not an English major. See, Ruth trusts in God and the systems and structures that He has set up for them. That's faithfulness. She also follows and submits to the instructions of Naomi. She actually goes out and works in those fields can imagine as Naomi's passing this along to her this is this is this is what our law teaches us this is what God teaches us and i think Ruth if you go out to a field you're going to find food and so she does and if you read through chapter 2 you you see how that whole scene unfolds and then in chapter 3 she proposes to Boaz and we haven't talked much about Boaz yet seems like i'm jumping the gun a little bit but in Ruth chapter 3, she's going to propose to Boaz, this man. She's going to ask him to redeem her and to marry her. If we go to, this is in chapter 2, excuse me, beginning of chapter 3. One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close fellow to the Vars, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. You hear the faithfulness? So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. I don't want you to jump ahead in this story. This is a strange story to our ears. And what I want to tell you is there's, there's nothing seedy in this story. There's nothing... There's nothing sexual that's going on in this story, and we know that because of what Ruth says. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. She's not asking Boaz to have sex with her. She's asking Boaz to redeem her. She's asking Boaz to save her and to save Naomi. Ruth demonstrates faithfulness by being obedient to the people in the story, by being obedient to God. She also demonstrates faithfulness by demonstrating patience. You know, we read these four short chapters, takes a little less than 15 minutes. But one of the things that we have to see is this takes place over 10 plus years, Remember, there's a famine in Judah. They leave and go to Moab, where her husband, Naomi's husband, dies. And then 10 years later, the two sons die. This is later in the summer. I wonder how impatient we would be in an age that lacks patience. In waiting for God to deliver us. In waiting for God to redeem us. How many times do I have to go out to this field and gather up this grain and take it back home to Naomi? When is God going to fix this? When is God going to redeem this? When is God going to make my life whole? When is God going to solve this problem? Because I mean I'm being faithful to him and he's taking forever. And we don't see any of that in this story. And then there's The third character, there's Boaz, the farmer. In contrast to Naomi, he's wealthy and influential. In contrast to Ruth, he is from Bethlehem. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 1 that Boaz is actually the son of Rahab, now, maybe that story means nothing to you. Maybe that connection means nothing to you. But if we were to flip back and, and read through the first six chapters of Judges, which I, I really recommend that you do that this week, that you read through the first six chapters of Judges, what you'll see is as God's people entered into the promised land when they were still being obedient, they were to take the city of Jericho. Do you remember that from the Bible? And they sent spies into Jericho, and there was a woman who housed those spies. You know what her name was? Rahab. And she said, she made an agreement with the Jewish people who were coming in to, to destroy Jericho, to, take, to retake Canaan for God. She said, if I let you in, then when, then when you guys come in here, you got to not kill me and my family. So they don't. And what we see is that same woman has a son named Boaz. And here he is, right in the middle of this story. And one of the things that we can also kind of gather from that then is, is this story of Ruth actually takes place pretty early in the book of Judges. So it wasn't at the end of the story, but it was pretty early So Boaz is this person who is, uh, well, I guess he's a Hebrew now. He's from Bethlehem. He's wealthy. He's influential. He's faithful. And despite all of the, instead of being surrounded by all of the disobedience around him, by all of the other people of Judah, by all the other people of Israel, instead of giving in to their wickedness, we see a person in Boaz who doesn't give in to the chaos. Here's someone who is actually faithful when no one else is around him. What does that faithfulness look like? How does this faithful de- faithfulness demonstrate itself? Several years ago, when we after we went through the book of Judges. Um, Becky had, had written this online article, and she called it Turn the Page, because at the end of Judges, it, it really ends bleakly, a lot of chaos, death, and destruction. There's not a lot of satisfaction in the book of Judges. But what she did was she turned the page, and she finds this book of Ruth, and she wrote this online our blog post. I don't know if anybody calls it a blog anymore, but that's what it was. We uh, posted a link to that blog post in the YouVersion app. I encourage you to read that this week, but I just want to share something from her post. What she did was she compared and contrasted what was happening in Israel and Judah with what Boaz did. And it's a pretty stark contrast. In Boaz's farm... Women were safe and found community with other women. Women were especially protected and provided for by the men. Men were commanded by their boss not to touch the women, and the men obeyed. Men drew water for the women. There was a shelter and breaks for all the laborers. Foreign, vulnerable, desperate women received special generosity, consideration, and care. Boaz greeted the harvesters with the Lord's blessing when he arrived and the blessing was returned. He asks his people for information because he trusted them. They spoke the truth because they trusted and respected their leader. This is the total opposite of every other thing that is happening in Israel and Judah during this time. Boaz is a remnant because surely Boaz grew up hearing from his mother Rahab who had talked about what it was like to be faithful, who had talked about what happens when you're faithful, what happens when you trust in the people that God has placed in your life. So how else is Boaz going to be raised? But it's not just in those things. I said earlier that there was nothing seedy about Ruth going to lay at Boaz's feet. And I think that one way that Boaz is faithful is that when Ruth comes to him in the middle of the night, he does not take advantage of her. Instead, he says this. This is Ruth 3, beginning at verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter, I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor, Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. I want you to notice that Boaz is concerned about her honor and Boaz is concerned about her reputation. Boaz demonstrates faithfulness. First, by being faithful to God by the way, he follows the law. By the way, he allows the grain to fall on the ground and not harvesting all of it. In fact, if you were to read the whole story of Ruth, again, it takes 15 minutes. What you'll see is there comes a point in the story where they're actually taking, taking grain off of the plant and dropping it on the ground. It's not even the leftovers that Ruth is picking up at this point, but it's like she's part of his team Boaz demonstrates faith by being faithful to God, by being faithful to his workers, by being faithful to the widowed and the foreigner, and finally to those that are within his family, even distant relatives. Boaz demonstrates faithfulness by being patient. Boaz demonstrates faithfulness even in the midst of a world that has gone insane. Boaz speaks to this other man, and the other man refuses to redeem Naomi. So Boaz is free to marry Ruth, bringing her freedom and giving her hope. This is at the end of Ruth, chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. And she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you Then seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. Then neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. I told someone this morning when they were coming in about this book. I said it's really kind of a it's really kind of a soap opera. It sounds a little fairy taleish. but this isn't just about girl loses family, girl finds husband, girl has child. See like many of the things that we read in Scripture. The stories and the scenes rarely, if ever, terminate on themselves. Does that make sense? Rarely do scenes in Scripture stop at the scene. Usually there is something much bigger taking place. There's a much bigger story taking place in this. There were lots of, Of promised sons in the Old Testament in whom much hope was placed. And as God fulfilled his promises through those births, it wasn't just just about them, because God had a much bigger promise to fulfill. God had a much bigger purpose in mind, and that bigger purpose in mind is the salvation of all of mankind. This is not an isolated soap opera. This is part of a much grander story. And one of the things that we can learn from this is God calls us to be faithful even when we don't understand all of the details. Even when it pushes our comfort zone. Faith and trust are very closely aligned. And God rewards that in unexpected ways. I don't think that any of us in this room are ever going to be asked to go and uncover someone's feet and lay by them. But we are asked to go to the feet of Jesus with our pain and our hardship and ask him to redeem us. And in doing so, we will be blessed beyond measure. We will be blessed beyond anything that we can even imagine. Ruth ends with a genealogy. But we're going to read the longer version in Matthew chapter 1. That's on page 597. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Ayabud. Ayabud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliad. Eliad was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. See these individual stories that we read in the Old Testament aren't ends unto themselves. They're part of a much larger story. And this is true for my life, and it's true for your life. The relationship that we have with God through the person of Jesus, it's not about you. It's not about us. And, And we certainly reap the rewards of that. We reap the benefits of that relationship with Jesus. But what the Bible is trying to do is it's trying to reveal a truth to us that each and every one of us has been placed where we are for a specific reason and a specific purpose. God has allowed situations and circumstances to happen in our own lives that are for the greater good of not just us, but of other people. And it's at this time of year where we, where we gather together and we, we celebrate the birth of Christ. I heard a pastor talk about this last week, so I'm going I'm to share it with you. This is not a time for us to sentimentalize Jesus. This is not a time for us to sentimentalize Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. For some of us, the nativity scene in our house is a metaphor for our relationship with Jesus. It's December. Where's the, where's the nativity scene? Time to put it out. Time to pay homage to Jesus for the month of December. And then January starts and we put Jesus away. Because what we've done is we have sentimentalized this season. The end of Matthew 1 verse 16, it tells us that, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He is the anointed one. Jesus is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And he did that not as six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus, But he did that through his death on a cross, by spilling his blood, by allowing his body to be beaten, so that we would have new life, so that we could celebrate with true joy this season the arrival of Jesus. When you came in today, you should have seen the communion on the table Back there. I would love for you to take that out right now. What's interesting about communion is this is the way that Jesus has called us to remember him. Not this. Not this, it's great. But this is the way that Jesus has called us to remember him. Because Jesus has given us his body. Let's take and eat. The blood of Christ was poured out for us the forgiveness of our sins let's take and drink let's pray father as we read through these stories in the bible Help us to see the larger story. Help us to not get caught up in the shorter stories. Help us to see how the shorter stories point to the real story, which is your son arriving in a manger in the same town of Bethlehem that Ruth gave birth to Obed. But the story didn't end there. Obed gave had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David. And we find Jesus in a manger in that same town. And that same Jesus who came, died for our sins. Help us to not neglect the story. Help us to see our part in the story. Help us to be faithful. And then allow us to reap the rewards of faithfulness. It's in your sons and we pray.